This week on Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about new agency models and how the holding companies are too slow to adapt. I'll be joined by Sir Martin Sorrell, founder of S4 Capital and the man who made WPP the largest advertising group in the world. So it's fair to say he knows a thing or two about our industry. Stay tuned. This one might get a bit spicy, particularly for me on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Okay, first of all, um, Sir Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Delighted to be here with you, Dave. You certainly pick your good times to do podcasts. Yeah, well, I I, I got you when you were available, so this is not by design. <laughs> I just got you when you're available, so um, it is it is complete serendipity, good look, bad look, whatever. But anyway, well, when, um, we, when we when we had our intro session, as opposed to where we are now, it's two different. Two different situations. Two, anyway, yeah. Well, I mean, I say this isn't a this isn't a, an investment podcast or a, a business forecast. Like this is a marketing podcast, so I'm kind of interested in in unpacking some of the things about you know just about your your business all these, model. All these things are related, though. They are related. They are related, but I, I feel there's enough exposure in terms of the the you know share prices and that kind of thing. Look, you can go there if you want, but um, I'm I'm happy. We, we just go on. We'll, we can go anywhere you like. Right. Well, well, we'll see where it goes. So, um, we'll crack off. We'll crack on then. So, um, I want to start off and just talk about look, the the ad industry tends to go in in kind of waves, and there and there's things come in and out of, of favor. So we 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 went from a full service model back towards um, hyper specialization. And we kind of right. with the fragmentation of media, we seem to be in an era where we're moving back towards some kind of. Um, you know, consolidation of services for, for the world in which we live. So like I go to meetings and there's six, seven different agency partners, which which seems too many in my opinion. So what's your view on how the agency model has kind of gone from full service to fragmentation and, and it's kind of tucking back in towards a degree of, of um, bundled services? Yeah. And where do you think it's going to go over time? Well, I, I don't think it has gone back to, you know, I think the silos in the old model, the anal- let's call it the analog model, uh, continue to be siloed. I mean, there's a lot of chat about change and there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of heat that's generated, but there's not much light. Hmm. I mean, if you look at the holding companies, you referred to six or seven, and I think there are six, including Havas, they talk about integration. They talk about bringing people together and integration. But in fact, what they've done is just create sort of stronger verticals that don't work together with one another. I mean, if you you plan and budget an organization on individual verticals, the people who run those verticals are going to be concerned mainly, if not only, about the the progress of those verticals make. Mm. So... I think it's noise and heat. I mean, if I look at my my old um, old shop, um, I was just looking at it this morning. You know, given the the, the turbulent time we've had just recently, uh, from when we started, you know, we still made considerable progress despite what's happened to us in the last few mm-hmm. days. Made you know four times uh, four times in terms of growth. But if I look at the holding companies and particularly WPP, I mean, it's now still 10, 15, 20% below 
10 to 15 percent below where it was when we started at S4 in September of 18. Mm. I, I, again, so I come back to there's a lot of heat, there's a lot of press releases, there is a lot of chat, but actually, in terms of real progress and momentum, despite all the noise about new business and contract wins, uh, it, it just doesn't add up, mm. uh, which is probably the right phrase for, for advertising. So I, I don't think there has been a change. I think um, probably in some of the more digitally orientated businesses like our own, mm-hmm. there has been more progress. I just got off a call with some of our people just now about the need for us to integrate even more. And one of our four principles, apart from digital only, uh, a data-driven model we call the Holy Trinity model, going to market is faster, better, cheaper. The fourth principle is around a unitary structure, one P&L. Mm-hmm. And I think really it hasn't. I mean, your own your own um, operation is still very siloed. They, they, and you know, when you, when you, bring companies in with an earnout model, which might span three, four, or five years. It's only natural that people are focused mm-hmm. on, uh, on their vertical and not the organization as whole. So um, I, I think the answer to your question is this, is that until those six or seven companies become one company yeah. truly, one brand truly, and I think Densu, for example, does talk about one Densu, mm, yeah. but, but you don't have... You know, Densu is split. I think it's run internationally. You have a CEO international, and then Japan is separate. Mm. Yeah, uh, so yeah. You, you we have, have silos you have there. Two, you have two verticals there, and then within international, you have several. You have several different brands. And I think until you get a sort of McKinsey-esque or Goldman Sachs-esque approach, i.e., one brand and truly integrated, it's not going to change. I think you're right that in a digital world, there there is more uh, integration that we're seeing. I mean, it's not just us. I mean, others others are trying to do the same. Yeah, but we've probably we've probably taken it to the furthest extreme. We believe you should have one organization that spans the three things that we do: uh, content, data, and digital media, and lastly, tech services. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and I I think I think you're right. I, I think Densu, we definitely are trying to. I mean, we our principle is one P and L. That's that's how we that's how we like to report. But but you're right. Like when you have, and it's not even just brands. When you have lines of business and you have people running those things, and and those things do create data points. So they they then become things that you can measure performance against. And once you can measure performance against it, it's hard to then see the greater good because I'm not sure all parts of the business would be allowed to function if if some parts were loss making if you'd want true pnl you you'd kind of you know you might you might you might look yeah. at something differently now it is different the, the wpp model by the way is interagency competition and that means you get as you said like really strong highly competitive verticals but i've heard you say before that um great people aren't um cooperative by nature so do you, do you think this idea of cooperation that you know collaboration cooperation once we have lines of business and centers of gravity it's a pipe dream do you think we can be collaborative no i, I didn't say quite what you said i i said that that good people you know, are difficult uh, because by and large and there are very few good people who are also team players i mean good people because they're good 
by definition, because they've done well, they think they're right, and fair enough. Uh, but the the truly the the true jewel, if I can put it that way, is the person who not only does well but appreciates that other people can help, other people can add, and that bringing everybody together, you know, you do create. Uh, the, the the sum is greater than the individual parts. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that's that those are unusual people. They are very few and far between. And and of course we you know, we see it at S four. Our, our people are basically very successful entrepreneurs. They they call themselves entrepreneurs, and they are truly entrepreneurs because entrepreneur means taking a risk with your own money and risk taking, not uh, not taking a risk with other people's money. So they genuinely are entrepreneurial, and therefore they are, you know, idiosyncratic. They have their own views on how things work or how they work for them. They may have started their businesses from a basement or a garage, and therefore, you know, they've had to go through difficult times, and they're very committed to their brand. So getting people to, quote, unquote, give up their brand is critically important. Getting people to... You know, merge their companies with us on a half shares, half cash basis, as we do do, and will continue to do. That you know is saying to people, okay, look, it's perfectly legitimate for you to capitalize on half the value of your business, but roll the other half into our operation, and let's see whether we can build mm. a real strong company. So, the the thing that people look for for from us access to capital. We don't have unlimited capital, but we do have access. Access to clients. Again, not unlimited access, but we do have access. Uh, access to geographies. We're in all 33 markets around the world, 70% North and South America, 20% EMEA, and 10% Asia Pacific. Uh, and last, uh, but, but not least, uh, access to digital experts. We have about 8,500 around the world digital experts who can help people develop their businesses. And just, as I said, just a call where we're talking about exactly that. How can we mm. tap in even more effectively uh, the people inside our company? Yeah, 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 I accept that in terms of that that, that view of um, collaboration. Um, I, I want to ask you, because this is a, a sticky one to a degree in terms of just the, the industry. Like I, I spoke to Rory Sullivan before and he says the problem with advertising is it's a probabilistic business that has to... Um, survive in a deterministic business culture. So there's this thing, and what he meant by that was that there's a lot of... That sounds very fancy. What does it mean? Well, what he means is that there's a a certain amount of good fortune that comes with advertising, and you you can't predict or model it effectively, as effectively as somebody with a finance background would would want you to do. So what he kind of means is that a lot of people now at the the helm of companies are finance backgrounds, and they, they don't really get the good fortune or the... Your, the overexposure of, of greater surface area to look. There's a certain amount of luck involved in advertising, but you just can't identify or model where it's going to come out. That sounds to me as a, a bit of a cheap shot. Well, I mean, the, we do. The industry does like to create this kind of bet noir of the, of the big bad finance well, they like, guy. They like, they like to keep, create a sort of magical aura of around creativity. Them. And the sad thing for Rory, which probably he has to come to terms with, is that. We, can, we do have access to more deterministic um, mm. data. We do have access. I mean, you know, it's a, it reminds me a little bit of the argument that you hear from uh, luminary creatives that you know, data is the death of creativity. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, 
that by definition they have some sort of intuitive feel that enables them to to overcome this deterministic um, probabilistic yeah or, or problem and i and i i think that it fails to understand that the world has changed um even david ogilvy going back to what rory said you know david ogilvy interestingly in addition to selling Arga cookies worked at Gallup before he started Ogilvy at the age of 40, the ripe old age of 40. And, you know, he understood the importance of data in enabling you to, 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 to get, to get um, sort of jewels of uh, insight, mm. to get into what consumers were thinking and how they thought about things and their likes and dislikes and their emotions, etc. So using the data in an effective way doesn't destroy creativity. I think it, it helps you develop even, even better creative work, particularly at, at a time when, when, we're, you know, when the world is 24-7 always on. Mm. Yeah, okay. And I have a funny feeling. I think, I don't know if you're referring to the person I'm going to mention now, but like there is, I get what you mean. There's a kind of a, 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 a snobbish view of creativity. So John Hegarty said, you can't have a creative business without creative people running that business. And that's not directed at anybody in particular. It's again, it's the it's the finance finance people taking over, taking the reins. And, and I think when he said that, he was having a go more at creative people for not stepping up in, into positions of leadership. But like, what do you think? Because you, you were, you know, Famously, the, the the third brother in Sachi's and the CFO. So, as somebody, do, you, do you take do you take that snobbish view of, of creativity as an insult, or what do you what do you make of that claim? There were about twenty five other third brothers. So, so Tim Bell and Bill Muirhead and uh, Jeremy Sinclair, lots of others who would qualify for that title, probably better than I do. Um, no, look, I think it is a snobbish view. Actually, I, I think it's um, it sort of harks back to the and Don Draper and Mad Men and the rose-tinted spectacles. Life has changed. It's moved on. And, and everybody's creative. I mean, it's outrageous for, for somebody to say, well, nobody else is creative other than the, what they term creative people. Mm. There are creative and, and, you know, the, in a way, you know, what we're going through at the moment mirrors that. You know, this is what you have to do is you have to have process you have to have some discipline. You have to have an a, approach that is soundly based. Mm. You can't have, you know, uh, ad hoc uh, approaches. You've got to have a, a disciplined approach. Mm. So the answer is it's left brain and right brain. I mean, the, the answer to the question is it's not all about the art. It is about science too. And what's happened over the last 25 years with, particularly with the growth of uh, the internet, is that being that the science uh, has become um, more and more important. Mm. It, we that creative art and science are equally balanced and should be equally balanced. Mm -hmm. um, but they are more equally balanced today than they were 25 years ago. And I think that's right. So you have to get, you have to get a, a balance between the creative and the finance. But to say that that finance people lack, don't have any creativity, uh, or the reverse as well, say creative people don't have any sort of numeric yeah, discipline, yeah. is wrong. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's a, that's a fair point. Um, now, you built WPP into 
the world's largest um, advertising group. Um, and it was a strategy of aggressive acquisition. So, you know, Dentsu, I've been here 23 years and, and I've seen when good acquisitions go bad, we bought fine companies. What happens is, you mentioned it earlier on, entrepreneur leaves, gets disillusioned with um, the corporate culture and then he leaves after an earn out and then that business just kind of withers on the vine and dies. So it gets lost in the holding company culture as it were. So, but what's the S4 capital model? So how is this different to the holding company model? And so when you when you go in and you bid for say Mighty Hive or Media Monks, why do they take your offer as opposed to more money potentially from WPP? What, what's, what's attractive about S4 capital and why is it different? That was the case in the case of media months. Um, no, because they, they saw a better future. Uh, they saw, I think, I think your point is a well-made one, but the problem with the earn-out structure is it, it creates, you know, that model, that analog model goes back to the 1950s of marrying Harper and IPG. And in those days, <clears throat> and, and to a large extent, as you went through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the, the separate brand model, you know, if you wanted Unilever and Procter, in the same group, you'd have to have one brand, you know, mm. JW Ogilvy for Unilever and Gray for Procter. Or if you had uh, Colgate, Col- YNR for Colgate. So you had separate brands in order to, to, ma- to, to maintain that separation. That, because of the nature of the business and how it's changed, and I think to some extent the procurement pressure and the reduction in fees uh, uh, in terms of level of fees, you know, has gone from a 15% or 17.65% on the cost model to maybe something around 10% in total for media and creative. In that, in that sort of procurement-driven world, uh, conflict, the, the laws or the rules around conflict have been, have been relaxed. And I think there's less and less need for separation. The earn-out model just maintained that separation, and that's the weakness in it. And it postpones integration. I mean, we... we still haven't got this message across uh, as effectively as we should get it across. But we take integration extremely seriously. We try to get people to work together extremely effectively or as effectively as possible and treat the company as one P&L, not, not driven by, by conflict because people are looking at different silos. And that applies the, to the merger process. We call them mergers, not acquisitions, because... They're half shares, half cash. And we start to integrate from the day that we sell, set, we sign an exclusive LOI. So if, you, if the due diligence process takes sort of two or three months, we're up and running with integration right from the get-go, right from the signing that LOI, we're starting to pitch together, work together to see how we all work together in a, in more effective, can work together in a more effective way. Hmm. So the whole thing is about creating one firm, not creating separate firms. Hmm. So you go to your experience at Dentsu, you know, as long as you retain the individual brands and you don't create one brand, one Dentsu, as they talk about, hmm. but then they Mark, Mark Merkel, mm-hmm. Gary, or all the other brands, Isobar, 360, whatever it is. I mean, as long as they keep on maintaining those different brands, you're going to have people thinking about their part of the organization rather than the organization as a whole. Mm. After all, after all, despite whatever analysis you do on practices or clients or geographies, ultimately what drives the, the market performance of the company 
is the overall performance. It's what the organic growth rate is. It's what the margins are. I mean, I'm talking about from a stock market point of view. Mm-hmm. It's about what clients you win, what client relationships you develop. So it, it's all about that. Yeah, so it's an interesting, because I was, I was trying to think what, why is the S4 capital model not just the same aggressive acquisition, but you're, but you're right, it's a different proposition. Um, did, yeah, I think you it's think, a little bit, a little yeah. bit unfair, fair. You know, a business that's been in existence, you know, WP Bell is there for, what, 32, 33 years, to say all it was, you know, the, these things get written about, oh, you know, yeah. sort of merging and acquisition. I think one article said we did 50 in a year, which I, I, I think is complete nonsense. But... Uh, it's just a, a, a more sort of, sort of outrageous journalism that you see. Well, there was some um, big juicy kind of, I don't know whether they were hostile takeovers, but there were some juicy... Well, uh, well you know, they were described as such. They're only hostile to CEO of the company that you were trying to, to, yeah. to do the deal. With, with JWT, which was Don Johnson, uh, with uh, Ogilvy, Ken Roman, uh, Y&R was a merger, Gray was uh, a merger. Those were the... Big TNS, I suppose, was the the next biggest thing. So those were the big deals that were were done. But you know, to suggest that it was all done through acquisition, when you start with a wire basket manufacturer, or mm. in the case of Deriston, which was a, a small healthcare shell, uh, by definition, you have to to grow through through deals in order to establish a business of any of any merit. Mm. So, do do you think? Um, like forget small kind of specialists versus the whole in companies. Do you, do you think agility is your big point of difference as well? I, I think it is. I think the nature of our people is different. We were talking about that a few minutes ago as well. I think uh, faster agility, uh, better understanding the digital ecosystem. I think we understand Google and Facebook and Amazon and Tencent and Alibaba and TikTok and Apple and Microsoft and Oracle and Adobe and Salesforce and IBM and SAP and, and uh, Twitter and Snap and Pinterest and LG and Samsung and Shopify and Spotify and Netflix and uh, Epic and JD.com and Xiaomi and Alchu and I think we understand these companies well. That doesn't mean you know we can't improve our knowledge of them, mm. but we have a good. You know, we understand NFTs and crypto as much as you can understand, uh, and and what's happening around the metaverse and. Meta itself, which we're heavily involved in, and developments at Roblox and NVIDIA and Epic, et cetera. So I think, you know, we have a good understanding. So that's mm. better. And I think generally we're efficient. As one of the, our clients, one of our key clients said to me, you know, you have the new model, one of our tech clients, you have the new model, and I don't have to pay for all that useless overhead. Right, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> another, yeah. another another client said, chief creative officer, one of our Tech client said, "You know, you've you created the new network from the right place, which is where the work is done." Mm. So, on the like, I, I've read quite a lot and seen you talk quite a few things. So, like, the industry generally is on a on a journey of digitization to the point where, like, there used I mean, there used to be digital and non digital, but now in terms of you know five years from today there'll be a time where well not in five years time but everything is digitizing so there'll be a time where there's no linear tv all television and posters and there's no fm radio so every, digital will become redundant as a channel descriptor so and i mean you've talked about your um, s4 capitals being purely digital as a point of difference so do you mean by that um addressable um focus entirely on data and data-driven marketing or how do you define that purely digital no we're, we're, we're really focused on that 
60% last year of the 750 billion media market. And then uh, the, the second addressable market is marketing services, which is 500 billion. Uh, and again, I would say digital is roughly the same as 60. It's forecast case of media to go to 74% by 2025. Uh, so digital will be growing over the next, certainly in the United States, over the next four or five years by 15 to 20% and globally around 15%. Uh, and then the third addressable market is trade budgets, of which Amazon focuses on most, about 800 billion. And then digital transformation is about 400 billion. So you know, put that all together, it's about 1.4 billion. Mm. So and that, you know, dominated by digital, you're right, Dave, that it will go, that digital will dominate it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but by and large, you know, we're very focused on that, and it is the tail that, you know, was the digital tail, but the tail's wagging the dog now, mm. and, that, and that will be where the focus is. So, again, I, I loved some of the things you're doing, and I heard you talking a little while ago about two-second creatives for L'Oreal. Um, now, in a, in a Byron Sharp world, because that's an established brand, that's, that's absolutely fine. It's probably all you need. But, you know, when you think about, and again, I don't want to be being too snobbery about creative here, but like when you think of it in a John Hegarty world, you think about what, well, how much impact can we, how, how creative can you be in two seconds? So with that in mind, do you, when you think about your business, well, S4 Capital. Enough, that was for L'Oreal and creative enough to take a product to market leadership within a few months. I mean, it's an interesting case because Facebook at that time called Facebook said that women on average, and this was in Italy, spent, uh, just a little bit less than two seconds on a post. So instead of trying to create a TV commercial, mm. uh, which takes about three months to produce or two months to produce, uh, shorter now, but still takes a long time to do, brief to the agency, arguing over the brief, changing the brief. Taking, it, it, you know, we, we reacted very quickly to it and created digital ads that, that were two-second ads. Mm. That doesn't, I mean, if you can come up, talk about creativity, if you can come up with a creative solution to a problem that gets market leadership um, by doing that, what's wrong with that? No, I, I don't no. follow it. And it, it. I mean, the implication is it's not, it, it's not the, the, the right thing. I mean, in a world where, which is always on, you know, instead of TV by appointment, you know, it's 24-7 always on. Uh, and you, you know, you you can you can choose as the consumer when you consume something. It's not some controller at the BBC who who, who determines that a programs controller. I mean, I just think it's a, a different. It, it's sort of it's almost luddite, really, isn't it? I mean, it's almost Neanderthal in terms of thinking. It, life has changed. Yeah, and For and, and we, what we thought was right. You know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago may not be right in 10, 15, or 20. So it's, it's, a, it's an unwillingness to change. It's an unwillingness to accept oh. that there's a new order. Okay. The, the order that you dominated, that these people are talking about, is no longer an order that is dominated in that fashion. It's dominated in a different way. Okay, I, I accept that, but just to, to 
play devil's advocate if you there's only so much you can do in so if you take say there's production or, or creative yeah, like or ideas business may, right so let, let, give, let me be, maybe dave that people have changed Okay, but if you take Skoda, for example, because I had a guy on from Fallon, and Skoda was in a position where, it, it like, the cars were actually okay, but they had a huge brand perception problem. To, like, his brief was, you know, you got kids, the, the guy was saying, kids are crying in the showrooms because their parents are going to buy a Skoda. So they had a big job doing it. It was a big idea that that drove that campaign, which would have been really hard to do in, in two seconds because it, it, it probably, the two-second model, relies on familiarity and predisposition. No, but that doesn't sort of um, deny the importance or undermine the significance of what happened in that picture. Instance, mm. like women spend up to two seconds on a post. Activation of that or response to that was to create a piece of creative which had impact in, in that period of time. Now, oh, it, could, you, it could be that you might produce a 15-second or 30-second or 60-second TV or five-minute mm -hmm. TV. Sure, might have done the same. Doubtful, but you know, it may be. Look, it may be that attention spans have changed. Mm. It may be they are shorter today than they were before. And we know, and we know that they are. Like, there's lots of evidence in that one that they, they definitely have. Right. Okay, we won't agree to disagree, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> now, now again, I've talked about the greats. Um, and look, you've been in the business long enough. Advertising. I mean, today it it definitely doesn't have the same impact in culture because it's for lots of reasons. Um, but but the question, not just its loss of impact in culture. I mean, the question I think does it have the same? Um, does it have those seats at the top table anymore? So I think agencies always they we see ourselves as being highly strategic. You know, we're really, really strategic. And I, I sometimes wonder, do clients actually think of us as being as strategic as we think of ourselves? So. Do you think that the agencies even have those top table CEO relationships anymore or, or is advertising kind of losing its place in business and in culture? What do you think about that? Well, I, I think it depends on, on who you're talking about. I, I think companies that look at the sky are different than com to companies that look at their boots. And, you know, companies that look at the sky, uh, you know, 50% of our revenue base is technology-based technology companies and their top-line growth rates. You know, our, our, our business is about helping clients grow, mm -hmm. building top-line growth rates. And I think there's a different attitude amongst those companies that are growing at 10, 15, 20% to companies that are growing at 1%, 2 or 3%. And they, the latter tend to look at their boots, meaning they tend to look at cost and efficiency rather than growth. The growth companies don't have enough time to engage in reviews that take 12 months or 15. They have to get on it. You know, if they spend their time doing a review for 12 months, they would miss out on so much uh, that, you know, that it, it would just be impossible. So I, I think that there are sort of, it's almost there are different speeds here and different responses. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that we tend to do better uh, in building our business on what we call a land and expand basis rather than pitch. I mean, Estee Lauder, which was announced uh, today uh, in the States uh, following you know, Mondelez and BMW, those are sort of big, big contract wins that we, um, but we tend to do better in land and expand. You know, our mm -hmm. other whoppers, Lauder would be our seventh whopper, as we put it, that's over $20 million of revenue a year. But you know, 
Google an unnamed and NDA telecoms company, but you probably guess who it is, Facebook, uh, plus BMW, Mondelez, and HP are the other whoppers. You know, of those, yeah, Google, obviously, Apple, Facebook, uh, HP, four of them uh, are tech companies. Uh, and that's the heart of our business. And that's where I think we do very well on a land expand basis. You know, we've, it is true that some of the mergers we've done have added to our client relationships, but at their heart, we have very strong uh, client relationships that have grown project by project, HP being mm. probably the best example. You know, we started about two or three years ago with nothing and have built that literally on a land and expand basis from project to project over time. So, so I, I think uh, the answer to your question is, that debate about whether we have a top seat at the table, I mean, when I started WPP, it was there, when I was at Starches, it there. It may be that the personalities in those days were different, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of that spectacles creeping in with me, but maybe uh, they, they, they were more, it was more personality driven. It's become, you know, more, um, more committee-like um, from the agency point of view, um, less colourful, maybe. Um, but no, I, 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 th- I think we still have a seat at the table, but I make the differentiation between those companies that are very focused on the, the top line. Everybody's focused on the top line, but those that are focused on the top line and those that, because their growth rates are more challenging, are focused on more of a balance between top line mm-hmm. and bottom line. Look at that uh, Yep, yeah, cool. Um, now we've talked. You've you've seen a lot of change in the industry. And when when you think about like what does the future hold for the ad agency, and for, from my own selfish point of view, particularly to say the media agencies. So, do you think as as the landscape becomes more complicated and fragmented, and and data and the demise of cookies and walled gardens, do you see the the media agency becoming more or less important in that kind of short term horizon, medium term horizon? Which, which agency? You say media agency? A media agency, yeah. Well, I think, you know, you know what's happened is, is the, the old creative agencies, you know, a JW or an Ogilvy or a Y&R or a Grey, you know, they were sort of stripped. It was a bit like, you, you know, you have a body, you cut off the arms, you cut off the legs, you, you take out the media and separate it. You take out the digital and separate it because you want it to grow, to grow faster, which leaves this sort of, "Quote unquote creative core, which is analog creative and therefore mm. not growing. You know, almost the, the the demise of the of the agencies. I mean, really, JWT today, which is part of Wonderman, um, really to to assemble the JWT of the past, you'd have to add the digital pieces to it and the media pieces to it. Mm. Now, the irony about all this is that." What's starting to happen is you're, you're seeing more integration, particularly as we discussed before on the digital side. So it's sort of coming, you know, with the irony of what we're doing is that we're making it unitary or one PL. So we're trying to bring everything together more and more. So that, as I say, is a little bit ironic. So what do I think about the future of the media industry? The media agencies are very strong, UPEM, Publicist Media, OMG. I mean, they're all Havas's business. I was in Spain uh, just the last few days, and you know Havas is very strong. For example, 
in Spain, they they won the Unilever, they took the Unilever business from WPP. And I think it was in France uh, and in Spain, and I think Devsu kept it in Italy, if I remember rightly. Maybe I'm wrong mm. on that, but 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 so the media groups are, are of the core of the analog companies. Of course, the media groups. When you say about the media agencies, they are digital as well. It could mm. be 30, 25, 30, 35, 40% of their business can be digital. So they've been in the sweeter, the sweeter spot. Um, yeah, look, my view on the holding companies is that the only way that they prosper in the future is if they're split, they're, they're broken up. Right. You know, if WP was broken up tomorrow, I'm sure its value will be well in excess of its market price, which is around a 1000 uh, market value about 11 billion pounds um, and, and I'm sure that continues to be the case um, and may well be the case I don't know the other companies quite as well but may well be the case certainly when private equity company was sniffing around publicists about 18 months ago uh, certainly the talk was that they they would it would have been better if it was in private hands you can do that you know without the gaze you know as we're seeing at the moment mm. without the the, the public markets uh, on you. But I, I think the answer to your question is, you know, if Group M, for example, was a separate business mm. uh, run, by, run by Christian Jewel uh, separately, it would, be a, it would be in a better position than as part of the, the yeah. Ogilvy. Or, yeah, that makes or, sense. Or Ogilvy. Or, I mean, <laughs> these verticals would be maintained. If you brought it together fully, as we were discussing before, it might be a different mm. different question. But uh, no, bring, bringing it bringing it together, I think, makes much more sense. Right. Okay. Um, now we t- we talked about how you know things. The more they change, the more they stay the same, and. Um, you know, in housing has been so way years ago. People go, sure, we're in housing, print buying, retailers where, and in housing is something that that it's long thought about in terms of a real threat to the agencies. I spoke to Alan Job a couple of weeks ago, and I expected some in housing of you know campaign execution layer campaigns in in you know Facebook or some digital. Now, what he some of the things he talked to me about what they're in housing, I was I was quite surprised that it was. Um, content production that that he said they're in housing which i wasn't expecting so do you see in housing becoming more popular with clients is it more threatening um, is it as big a threat as as say the, the trade press would like us to believe well we, we have three models we we have the the classic outsource model uh we have an embedded model where our people sit in sit in the client's premises and then we have an in-house model where we're willing to do ourselves out of a job if we think it's in the interest of clients to in-house, and we've done that with Sprint and T-Mobile and Bayer and others. Uh, we think it's in the interest of clients to in-house, uh, not just on media, but on content too. We will help them do it. In fact, it was the subject of our business school case study, the in-housing uh, at Sprint by, by Mighty High. And um, so we will do whatever is in the best interest of the client. Alan, you know, it's interesting, no Unilever reasonably well. And of course, they have used Oliver, and that's not actually in housing, right. that's embedded. That's an embedded model. Hmm. Uh, you might wear Unilever t shirts, uh, right. but they're actually employees of Oliver. So it's, it's not really uh, uh, an in housing model. An in housing model is where the client takes on, you know, we, we hmm. train the staff and they take it, take it on, as we're doing, we're doing in a big tech company at the minute. We're doing a, a big feasibility study on, on, on in-housing. And, and what, what we do is we in-house 
And then there are two sort of after-sales services, one around technology. Often it's difficult for clients to stay abreast of mm. the technological developments. And also people, uh, you know, servicing people because um, and providing people because uh, often people, uh, good, really good people get bored just working on one client. And we yeah. wish to so we look at we look at uh, we look at both, but the, we have those three models, and we found it. You know, is in housing uh, becoming more and more popular? I think so, actually. I think, on balance, in a twenty four seven world, clients have to take back control. You know, they have to focus, obviously, on things like first party data and integrating first party data, which you know well from your mm-hmm. experience. Uh, for example, they have to take back control. Uh, of their of their a lot of the functions that they devolved uh, before you know after the great financial crisis, a good big pressure on costs and zero based budgeting, and I think they they pushed out too 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 many functions to third parties, and in a twenty four seven always on world, going back to your criticism of the implied criticism of the two second commercial things so fast, Dave. I wasn't criticizing. I wasn't criticizing it. I was just merely no, asking no, a question no, about it. A static, a static model doesn't work. So it has to be much more flexible. So no. I think, I think the embedded models and the in-house models, uh, which are different, mm. you know, to your conversation with Alan, uh, I think are really important. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it sounded like it was full in housing, but yeah, because I know Oliver because they work with some of our clients. Um, I'm only going to have two more questions, then I'm going to let you go. Just sure. on, on the, you talked about one of the reasons why, and I noticed myself why, why clients don't in house is because it's talent. It's hard getting talent within the agencies at the moment already, but but they, they do want that um, diversity of of people and things to work on. Um, now, there's a huge talent gap drain problem in the industry at the moment in the same way are you finding are you suffering that same kind of problem in terms of talent acquisition and attraction or are people attracted to the s4 capital model in the same way you're acquiring companies you're more attractive to acquisitions are you suffering that talent problem or are you more attractive i, I think uh, you know the media monks model which is our one operating brand is attractive to people both young people and people who experience of the industry and from the tech industries too uh, our churn rates which used to be at the sort of more towards 15 percent and now are now more towards 20 although we hear the holding companies are up at sort of 28 30 percent levels but uh, churn rates have obviously the pandemic has i don't think it's the great resignation it's the great reshuffle and people are looking at what they're doing how they're doing it, where they're doing it with increasing intensity. Uh, I think the other thing, and probably the most significant thing, is the levelling up that we've seen uh, in terms of Hispanic, Afro-American, black communities, uh, the the Asian communities, uh, and gender. So our stats are are, are very good from that point of view in terms of in comparison to the tech industry or the media industry or indeed the agency industry, but they're not good enough in two dimensions. One is uh, our, our, our black uh, um, ratio, if, if I put mm-hmm. it that way. And we've committed to reflecting the communities in which we work. Uh, we're about sort of six, six and a half percent uh, in, in, in our black community. Now that's okay in California, that meets that requirement of reflecting communities, but not New York, which is 25% more mm-hmm. nationally, 15%. Gender-wise, we're, we're strong 50-50. People of color, we're about 40%. We've actually given our, our, our people now the option 
in response to those types of surveys to say you know, they don't want to, to, to be classified in that way. So it's made, actually, ironically, it's making the, the, the sort of achievement of the objectives more difficult. Impossible. Because I'm quite sure where it is the same thing applies to gender. Uh, but we're basically 50-50, male-female. And what we're seeing uh, is um, a leveling up in America in particular because after the, the heinous murder of George Floyd, uh, what, what, what we're seeing is uh, companies, tech companies, uh, media industry companies who don't have great stats in these areas of gender or diversity becoming much more conscious of it and, and driving, quite rightly, the, the levelling up process, which is not to be to, to dismissed or opposed. I mean, it's important that it continues. Mm. So, so I, I would say on balance, we're attractive to, to talent. Uh, there is significant inflation, uh, probably running at around 5% generally, maybe even more for, for good digital talent. Uh, and we are seeing that. And obviously, the inflationary trend mm. worries me uh, from an economic point of view. And you know, my own view is that 2022 will be a good year economically overall. We'll still see worldwide growth of maybe 3 or 4%, down from where it was coming into the year at 4 to 5 because of the basically because of the Ukrainian uh, war and the terrible things that are going mm. on in Ukraine. But, but having said that, I think 23 will be a tough year when digital transformation will kick in in a big way. I think when clients are faced with, uh, with having to change even more effectively, they'll become uh, even stronger in their thinking. Okay, last question. Look, sure. you've had a... You've made an, an immense contribution to this industry. You've had a... You've done really well uh, you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call out your age but maybe you were 70 odd early 70s when you left the repp did you did you think for a second you know what i'm gonna um sail around the world enjoy myself i've worked hard or even say you i'm sure you could have slotted in as a ceo somewhere relatively easy took it took a kind of a handy number but like what how do you wake up and say i'm gonna build from scratch and like what how do you even how do you even kind of begin to, to take on such a mammoth task about starting building from scratch? What drives you? Because I'm sure well, you had lots of probably, lots of easier offers. Probably, I, I don't think sailing around the world was a was a good alternative. I wouldn't have enjoyed that. Uh, I, 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 Jews don't make good sailors. Well, whatever, whatever your whatever your <laughs> passion was, whatever you're not a golfer. I've heard you say that, but like I mean, I, you wouldn't I, want I, an easier life. No, I mean you must have had a tough week with the calls you're getting, given the you know, given the the the. the, the it, it, it's all it's all part of life's rich pageant, and uh, you know we'll we'll fight our way out of these these challenges. We're already starting to see that, so you know we'll fight our way. I out I think of you it. like the fight, though. Do you? would it be fair to say you like the fight that you you want to challenge? Yeah, I mean, there are some things that happen that 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 irritate. I must admit, um, some some things that uh, are, are ill thought through, um, without going into detail, but. But having said that, um, no, I think, you know, that we like challenges. We like opportunities. We like challenges. And you can't have the good without the rough. I mean, what, once somebody's written a good story about you, Dave, the only thing that's left yeah. is to write a bad story. And once I've written the bad story, the only thing that's left is the good story. True, true. Well, <laughs> uh, on that note, if you're ever over in Dublin, I'll get the Irish Times to bring you out for a load of pints and you can, you can, I can have a chat well, to you in person. So we, 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 for, for various reasons, we love Edna O'Brien. 
And, um, you know, she's written a play, actually, for, what is it, the uh, Joyce's Women, I think it is, is called, which I think is going to be going to be put on uh, in Dublin. So I might see you. I might yeah, see you. Well, there. let us know when you're in town and, the, and no expense spared. The Irish Times will foot the bill <laughs> um, and it'll be, uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a pleasure to have you. Well, listen, Martin, thank, thank, you, for thank, this, thank you for this. Thanks so much because I, I thought would I thought was that, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if you just said, I can't do this call now. I'm too busy. So um, fair play for, and I, and I, I told you I, it wasn't going to be, um, you know, any anything going into detail about that but I really appreciate it thanks for taking the time thank you so thank much you, and best all wishes right. cheers you. thanks bye bye that's it folks that's all she wrote we're out of time again I want to say a big thank you to Sir Martin Sorrow for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join me today um, thanks as always to our friends in the Irish Times Media Solutions and thanks to Kira in Marketing and Andrea on Sound if you like this episode why not take a listen back to our evergreen back catalogue you'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice until next time get back into your office meet your colleagues meet your pals get in in person but stay safe thank you for listening bye bye The Inside Marketing Podcast brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.